Hey everybody, this is Brett. Two quick things before we start this week. One, a content warning. So I'm 6'3", and Rob is my best friend. He's 6'7". And because he's been doing intermittent fasting and keto, he's lost a bunch of weight recently. Uh, and now we weigh close to the same for the first time ever. Because of this, he's decided that, quote unquote, I am now the fat one. So if you hear some fat jokes in this, uh, I do not take offense to it. I hope you don't as well. Uh, they're all made in good fun. He's just very excited. The second part is I apologize for the audio quality on this one. It uh, turns out I'm a fucking moron and I still haven't quite fixed everything for, uh, from my move. As you can hear, I have now managed to figure out what the problem is. Uh, just late enough to not be useful. Uh, we'll have it fixed in the future. Thanks and enjoy. The Rachel Maddow Show, weeknights at 9 Eastern on MSNBC. I'm Rachel Maddow. We got a great show for you tonight, a lot to cover about the Mueller investigation. But first, I want to take you back to the late 18th century, to the Ohio River Valley. Ohio coming from the Seneca, Ohio, meaning good river. And if you were a settler there at about that time, you'd have agreed it lived up to its reputation. In 1781, Thomas Jefferson called the Ohio River the most beautiful river on earth. It was the primary waterway by which English settlers reached what would become the heartland of America. In no time at all, it became one of the major centers for commerce in young America. Settlers poured down its tributaries towards a better life in unexplored America. It was opportunity. It was manifest destiny. And for a young physician named Nathan Barnabas Culver, it was his big break. Dr. Culver was a physician of some renown in Cornwall, but his hybrid medicinal-slash-spiritual remedies think laudanum porridge, cocaine meat pies, ran him afoul of the religious authorities. And like so many at that time, he made the difficult passage to America, animated by the belief that there he would find the religious freedom and economic opportunity that we cherish to this day. After the Treaty of Paris ceded most of the valley, uh, the Ohio River Valley to the United States, Dr. Culver was one of the first homesteaders to southwestern Ohio, where he founded the town of Hope, seen here as you can see a, a, it's a real it's a real general store and blacksmith ordeal that nevertheless it continued on with some prosperity for a time until a raid of indigenous peoples killed dr culver allegedly for the attempted over prescription of hysteria treatments he was survived by his wife elizabeth and his daughter deborah culver here uh, who suddenly found themselves alone on the frontier a semi-hostile world uh, in which their limited skills uh, provided little balm. But remember, these were frontiers women, not like you and I. They're made from sturdier stuff. And they didn't take their ball and go home. Instead, they did what Americans do, and they became entrepreneurs. They realized that at a certain point, Dr. Culver's patients had been coming as much to taste the, the sweet baked goods in the waiting room as for Dr. Culver's laudanum treatments. Honestly, those two probably compliment each other, but, but anyway, anyway. Uh, Elizabeth Culver's cakes, sweetbreads, and pastries remained popular even after the doctor's death. And that's how, right there in Hope, Ohio, sorry, right there in Hope, Ohio, 
a fixture of Americana, was born. The Little Debbie Frontier Pastry and Snack Company was founded in 1795 by Elizabeth Culver, named after her daughter, Deborah Debbie, and you know their work to this day. Swiss, Swiss rolls, fudge rounds, the oatmeal cream pie, the cream-filled cupcakes that are now iconic and omnipresent. That was Elizabeth and Debbie. And these two women, they did it alone. They are responsible for this great American success story. But are they also responsible for Brett at Relentless Boredom being so fat now? Oh, my God. Did I just have to sit through a terrible Rachel Maddow impression for four minutes for a fucking fat joke? Thank you, Rachel, for having me on. Oh, my God. And it's that oh, always boring. And from the Foundation for Foreign Affairs and Emergent Technologies, uh, we have John at Cali. You got TFF. both of them. Is this going to uh, keep going? Thank you, Rachel. Uh, pleasure to be here. <laughs> oh, my God. Good to see you again. Um, now, Brad, uh, some of everybody's in on this. Awesome. Uh, how does something like this happen? Is it the stereotype that we all think of cheeseburgers and bacon? Or is it the fudge rounds and the cupcakes doing most of the oh no pun God. intended heavy lifting? Well, thank you. That's a fantastic question. In healthcare, we like to oh, attribute this is a full to on thing. We're going to keep going. Monofactorial causes, <laughs> right? So we have genetics. We have um, we have nature, nurture, the environments. We have something that he can't fight. We have stress, or in Brett's case, we have uh, an unholy combination of literally every <laughs> factor possible, which has oh my god clearly <laughs> manifested itself into um, what we see here in front of us with a presentation so severe. It's it might be comforting to think there's only one problem, but in reality there are just several. I'm six three. I'm, I, I'm sorry if I'm hearing you right. There, so what you're saying is there's there's no one thing that could make someone as fat as Brett is. One ninety six and six three. I mean, it is it is possible that he could be so committed to obesity that he could take one path, but it's it strikes me as unlikely that someone with that amount of willpower. Uh, wouldn't spend it towards doing literally anything else except for getting fat. So yes, I would I would have to say that there is no one thing that could do this. <laughs> so John, I want to bring you in now. Now, John, when you see someone like Rob at Dumb and Awful, 6'7", body comp of Kevin Durant, oh, skinny dreams. legend. In your dreams. And then you find out Brett is seven inches shorter and now the exact same weight. Four inches How do those shorter. numbers hold up internationally? How would Brett stack up against his fellow global citizens? Four inches and still six oh, pounds Oh, yes. Uh, Brett now resembles the, the famed Budai or Happy Buddha, a monk <laughs> in simple robes who would often pat his belly while laughing and surrounded by young children. That is what we're oh looking my at God. here. <laughs> now... Now, now, John, it sounds like what you're saying is that it might not be a bad thing. And I know a lot of cultures actually value, um, you know, the, the amount of fatness that Brett currently has. I'm thinking of Peter Paul Rubens, for example. Uh, does that hold up? How long oh, oh yes. Uh, there's been uh, numerous reports to the International <laughs> Whaling Commission that there's a significant interest in pursuing Brett at this time. Uh, he, he has also been offered refuge in the Australian whale sanctuary. Uh, this is located outside Japan's exclusionary economic zone. <laughs> you know, Blubber gets a bad rap, but I'm glad that Brett is changing the dialogue there. Brad, I want to oh, get yeah. you back in, though. We know that Brett is an Appalachian American. Uh, to this day, his family uh, still lives in what we call the Little Debbie States. Well, how much of this is nurture and how much is his nature? Is this a genetic inevitability he's dealing with? 
That's a fantastic question. I have a lot of medical experience in Appalachian medical communities. We call these underserved communities. And I think what mm. you have to realize is with Brett generally, this is not a unique condition. Mm, okay. What we're seeing here is very typical for these little Debbie states. These are uh, high lipid, uh, high cholesterol, high lipid, um, you know, high blood sugar. When he talks, you can hear the low density, you know, the LDA you, uh, rattling absolutely around. Can. His absolutely can. Saliva. It's 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 phenomenal. Mm. What is remarkable about this case? In particular is the sheer god i just want to say dedication to how he's gotten here um oh, it takes work not as dedicated as you are it to does joke. and in a kind of way that's commendable it's respectable if you're going to do something fucking do it but on the other excuse me i apologize i didn't mean to swear on your show rachel that's okay that's okay it's an important topic i understand if, you, if you get you emotional guys. I, I, I thank you i appreciate it <laughs> But in other hands, you know, he's sort of built himself a log cabin made out of oatmeal cream cookies, and he's mm. eating himself out from the inside. So, um, admittedly, that does sound delicious, but still, fuck you. You know what? I'm just glad Brett has found a home in glucose. But, John, you know what we don't talk about enough in this country? It's mental health. And for years, Rob at Dumb and Awful, he was the fat friend between <laughs> him and Brett. And suddenly, I never said that. Everything is different. Uh, they're the same weight, and Rob's so much taller. How's that likely to be affecting Brett mentally? We are not the same weight. Uh, yes, I'm this, still this normally will probably involve uh, leading him to isolate himself more, probably binging more uh, more British baking shows on Netflix well, I mean, yeah. and the like. But uh, there is there is con a growing concern that with uh, the upcoming Brexit that this may affect the availability. Oh, I never thought of that. Now, now, let me ask you, when he's binging these shows, is that because he's falling into a pit of despair or does he just not know how fat he's getting? Wait, is Great British Bake Off really oh, dangerous? I, I think it's a combination of the two, but as always, it, it depends entirely on the day and mood and just which Cupcake Wars seasons are available at yeah, the time. I don't like Cupcake Wars. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, Brad, in terms of athletic performance, we know Brett's a militant socialist mm, who true. believes the current government should be replaced somehow, the whole Gumby leftism thing, uh, with a legitimate socialist one. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. As he gets more and more fat, is there some concern that the pungent sweat and heavy breathing might give him away uh, when him and his comrades are engaging in some sort of subversive direct action? Uh, how long is well, this? I think that's and you know that's a good question. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. So think of this more of like a direct confrontation. In that situation, it would be incredibly beneficial to have a giant bullet shield at the front of the lines <laughs> marching into the police uh, columns to suck up a lot of those rubber bullets for the other people who are in shape. So they don't, you know, tire mm. themselves out do dodging uh, rounds. This is a 10 minute round. Well, it's good to see that his patriotism will uh, remain presentable. Uh, John, how much of this is just the American 24 hour media needing a story? Is Brett really fat or are we talking smoke and no fire here? Smoke well, and I mean, fire. of course, Americans I'm have a significantly fat. larger version of fat than in the international oh community. God. And if you look at that reporting from Al Jazeera to BBC to Xinhua to Stephen Sputnik, there is international consensus on Brett's obesity. Here. <laughs> well, it's nice uh, in the year of our Lord 2019 to have a consensus on something. Uh, that thing, again, and I can't emphasize this enough, Brett being fat and the fat friend. Uh, last question, Brad. Brett is getting older. <laughs> well, Rachel, as we all are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very true. Very true. Um, now, how much of Brett being a fat little Debbie addicted slob is just the natural process of aging? 
Oh, fuck you. Well, as we age, our taste buds change, and we're unable to detect subtle tastes as well as we used to. You'll see this in the elderly uh, eating tons of fast food because of the sodium content or hanging out with donuts or something like that. With Brett's case, though, I think we have to take into consideration that you, you know, think of his hair, for example. It's it's thick and luscious, while the it rest is. of him is literally rotting. Okay. Um, so much. Because the sweat and the pure cholesterol that are just tripping out of his pores are really uh, lubricating and giving it that nice sheen and shine. So it's it's <laughs> it's a little bad, but it's a little good. Oh my you know? God, how much more is there? You know, I, I, I don't want to start a debate because we're running out of time, Thank but God. I would say while his hair is thick and luscious, at this point, so is the rest of his body. So it's all looking up for Brett. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time. Oh my God, finally. Thank you, Rachel. Always a pleasure. And uh, to dumb and awful. You set up a fucking 12-minute spiel because you're skinny now? Bitch. Yeah, you know how you could avoid that? Lose some weight, bitch. the fat friend this week we're going to do our deep dive uh we've already done elizabeth warren this time we're going to combine two and do cory booker and tulsi gabbard so we're going to start with the most boring candidate and then we're going to go to the most we'll call her the most interesting candidate for the 2020 cycle i hope she can bring a little bit of aloha to this shitty podcast thank and, you and you know we say we say cory booker is the most boring one but at least he has the best imaginary friends it's true cory booker is 100 percent the jab of 2020. hey i used to hang out with the crack dealer in newark his name was cracky and um he used to tell me i was such a good politician anyway and a story no follow-up questions please you know, you say <laughs> you say that he's the Jeb of 2020, and Jeb could at least raise money. And I don't think that if you're looking at even the field right now, Cory Booker's, what, maybe fourth or fifth of whoever's going to raise the most money going into this? Imagine being too dumb for Wall Street. Cory Booker. <laughs> <laughs> he That's a powerful have... pivot. That's a pivot to go like, <laughs> I'm not taking money from Wall Street. Not because I'm not asking, because I think I'm too much of a dumbass. Anyway, vote for me. So... The, the same uh, caveats apply to this as applied to Warren. Thus far, there's only one person in the race. Now they have actually declared uh, who you could describe as remotely socialist. So everyone else will not be there. It's just Bernie is only the one you can describe as socialist. Additionally, we can have the whole reform versus revolution debate, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about the candidates, who they are, where they came from, what they believe in, and go from there. We're not going to do that, uh, not because we don't want to, but because none of us could be asked to read a book. Um, Correct. And we're extremely ill-suited for that sort of discussion. Yes, I, I would recommend BP Plus if you want to hear someone talk about that with some intelligence. Great podcast, great podcast. If I had to pick a favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so Cory Booker, we're going to start with. You, don't, you mean you don't want to start with uh, the second lieutenant that delivers every word as if she's giving a PowerPoint deck to a bunch of bored uh, captains? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save her because she is more exciting than Cory Booker. Uh, a frightening uh, thought. I know. 
So yeah, that's a, that's a really weird way to say exciting. <laughs> <laughs> she is exciting to people that saw like Clippy and Microsoft Word and were like, "Damn, this thing's moving as I'm typing." <laughs> uh, so Booker. Born in D.C., grew up in New Jersey. His parents are the first two black IBM executives. He went to Stanford for a bachelor's in poli-sci, got a master's the next year in sociology, uh, was a Rhodes Scholar. Damn, poli-sci and sociology? Yeah, and he's got a law degree from Yale afterwards. Uh, honestly, the coolest thing about him as, uh, when he's younger was that he was a tight end at Stanford. And he played with Ed McCaffrey, which is genuinely cool. Dude, he can move. Uh, there was a highlight of him. He wasn't, I mean, he, was, he wasn't big, but he could scoot on the field. That's another reason to hate the fucking NFL is because if we could have just put him on the Baltimore Ravens, he wouldn't be running for president right now, and we wouldn't God, have to watch true. this. I feel like if NFL players ran for office, at least it'd be interesting. Oh, no, it would be the fucking worst. Because the, 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 the only people in the NFL who get super famous are fucking quarterbacks, and they're all sociopaths. You don't want fucking any of them running for office. He says now, but he's going to vote for Tom Brady. No, I, Jesus Christ. You absolutely you, are going to vote for Tom Brady. I used, to, I, I used to joke about that for, I, I used to joke about that for years. And then he came out as just like so fucking insane that I, I'm just so happy he keeps playing and will never retire and run for office. This is how I know you're a fan. Came out as insane. Motherfucker's been insane forever. Yeah, but he was like a bland, like just bland, boring character until until pretty much his like ACL injury. Oh, but now he's like he also supports like crystals and like homeopathic <laughs> therapy and just nonsense. Also supports Robert Kraft, wanker oh, legend, <laughs> literal baller, regardless of whether or not it's legal or uh, a small back office in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Do you think he tipped really well, or was he, is, is part of the thrill for him just having to pay 70 bucks for a hand job? I like to imagine he wore all of his rings during it. <laughs> just hoping the poor Vietnamese woman would ask about it, and she clearly doesn't give a shit. Yeah, well, I mean, if you looked at it, it's apparently like the nearest, like the nearest strip mall to this incredibly like wealthy area where all these fucking billionaires lived. The, the unofficial Jeffrey Epstein terminal strip mall. <laughs> no place to get a sparrows and a wank before you board the old Lolita Express. So let's go back to the guy who we wish would have gone to the NFL, but instead is in politics. Court Booker. Uh, so yeah, the other thing for just general context, uh, he's worth a little over a million. Um, he so let's broke ass Cory Booker trying to get my vote. <laughs> That's actually kind of interesting. Pretty much everyone running on the Democrat side right now, I'm sure someone's going to declare soon, but they're all relatively on the lower scale for wealth when it comes to politicians. How can Cory Booker court big money in Wall Street and tech so hard and still be not super rich? Like that's really committing and then failing. Honestly, Which, the fact that he's worth $1.3 million, even though he went straight from law school to trying to run for mayor, means he's been doing pretty fucking well. He went to Yale Law School. He's the brokest yeah. person in his class. Oh, yeah, for sure. So he got out of Yale Law School, immediately moved into a subsidized housing development in Newark right after graduation, tried to run for uh, city council. 
got elected. And this was after he did some hunger strike to try to work against the drug dealers in his housing development. Uh, the whole process there where he went to law school, Yale, and then went, you know what I want to do now? I want to go to a subsidized housing development in Newark to like prove that I'm a man of the people while immediately running for office locally. That almost, uh, it almost upsets me more than if he had just like clerked for a Supreme Court judge or gone to academia, Same. which is what Yale Laws is known for. It's a very small class and they all end up going to the Supreme Court, basically. The fact that he instantly got out, didn't do big law, didn't clerk, and just went, time to do some performative wokeness means that he was the guy that was like, my plan is to go to Yale Law and then become president. And that makes this so much worse because with this amount of runway, he still ended up just here. So what were you saying that he did a hunger strike to protest drug dealers? Yeah, yeah. so... It, That'll show him. Yeah, because is there a drug dealer that's concerned about like their client's nutritional intake? I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, there's honestly not a ton of information about that. Apparently, all the drug dealers were operating in the open in the late 90s in Newark, which not surprising. And he worked with a bunch of other people. To, I'm not really sure how Hunger Strike worked within this, but apparently it worked semi well. That's, I don't believe that for a second. And there's no if, way that there were like drug dealers in the projects who were like, all right, man, go ahead and open up the vitamins, put that 5-HTP MEO in it. We'll go ahead and sell it over at Rutgers. Wait a second. The guy that always wants to tell me about Lupier fiasco is now all of a sudden doing a hunger strike. Pack <laughs> it up, boys. Pack <laughs> it up. Miss, the president kick pushes here and he's killed our entire business. Economically, we're fine now. If you take the cynical approach, which is he showed up in town, he needed some way to get media attention before he ran for office. This is a ploy he's used a few times, right? Something related to food-related issues, hunger strike. Uh, he did one where he tried to survive on um, uh, a buck forty for each meal because he was doing food stamps. Like he has done this sort of thing multiple times to get himself coverage. If I'm being cynical, maybe he genuinely cares about these issues. But the thing with Cory Booker is you can't fucking tell. It's really disturbing. Well, I can tell you one thing right now. He's not living on a buck 40 of food a day as he's entering this presidential race. Jesus. No, he's definitely not. Because he's fat. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. Damn, I got there. Come on. Don't. That, that, look, people's weight is not something you should joke about unless it's particularly, <laughs> unless it's so egregious like Brett. <gasps> where we're this again, we're the same. He had nothing but time to prepare for this, and yet he is now fatter than me. <laughs> I mean, he he has only himself to blame there. But Cory Booker, it's tough being on the it's tough having a full time job working and trying to make do. So I, I have empathy there, and really you should too. So he moved to Newark, he did this hunger strike, got himself attention, uh, got elected city council in ninety-eight. Uh then he ran for mayor against the incumbent, which was Sharp James, who turned out to be super corrupt. Uh, he also, lost if you run against the incumbent Newark? of Newark, all you have to say is like, I don't know. I didn't make it look like this. And you should win. You should. So he ran If you're the mayor of Newark, what can you say? Like, well, the crack houses look nicer than they used to. I, I, I just presume somewhere in here there has to be some sort of insane New Jersey political machine stuff he was getting into because – yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. In 02, he was clearly on the outs with the New Jersey machine. And Sharp James at the time, it was a lot of rumors, but not a lot of like actual uh, investigative journalism showing what weird or um, sleazy shit he was doing. 
when he ran against him again in 06 and beat him, that was after a lot of stuff had come out about exactly how many bribes James was taking uh, and the various back dealings he was doing and things of the like. Uh, ironically, he got dinged for not taking enough bribes because the voters of uh, New Jersey thought that made him a pussy. <laughs> uh, so after he won Booker, I will say this. Booker has been a very clean politician when it comes to that. For going through New Jersey, he has been the least sleazy politician to come through Jersey in, I don't know, ever. Wow. That good, huh? Yeah, no, it's incredibly low bar. <laughs> Listen, I'm actually the president of shit island. <laughs> this whole thing just sounds like the USA version of The Wire. The Wire was in the USA. No, the, 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 U, oh, the, the US network. Sorry. Oh, fine. <laughs> Fuck it. That one fell. That one died. Well, I'm going to go kill myself now. Look, you know, sometimes you fly too close to the sun on a riff. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking of like, I can't really talk about the Bright Eyes initiative. No one fucking remembers that. It's really funny to think that, like, you meant to do that because you thought The Wire was just filmed in Africa or something. <laughs> Jesus. So he... <laughs> Who's the stringer bell? I can't understand him when he talks. John. Uh, I'm the whitest uh, Asian guy. The name was actually like a village getting electricity. Like, that's what he... Oh, we had The Wire coming in. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I've never seen it. I just assume that's what it's about. I like with the with John being Asian too. I like to imagine him putting on the subtitles because he can't understand McNulty's <laughs> McAss. <laughs> What's this potato saying? I can't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> oh my God! Was that your laugh, Brad? <laughs> that's what your laugh sounds. I've never I've never been funny before, so I've never heard it. But that's what it sounds like <laughs> when I get uh, properly excited. I guess. By a good Asian wire joke. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There's not enough of them, and that's part of the problem. Uh, okay, Booker. That's who we're talking about. So This guy is so fucking boring. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I'm sure the listener right now is agreeing with me. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess just strap in. It's got to get better than this, right? So real fast, that first time when he lost in his run-up for mayor, that happened to be documented in, in what became an Oscar-nominated documentary called Street Fight. So already he's getting the media coverage that he seems remarkably good at getting. Uh, so he ran after he won Newark mayor, uh, the second time he ran in 06, he largely seemed to operate uh, on social media rather than doing things in the actual city itself to the point where they started tracking how many days he spent outside of the city. That's, that's actually the most, that's the most relatable thing. Not doing anything for your community, but tweeting constantly. <laughs> that, that's, that's where the danger is with Cory Booker. Uh, I'll give you a few quick things that he actually did. Uh, raised taxes more than 20% over three years. City laid off 1,100 workers, including 160 police officers. So, you know, some things are good. After a while, the violent crime did start to decrease a little bit. Um, again, investment picked up downtown. It was all gentrification type things, though. He did uh, push the police department to work with the Department of Justice. Uh, essentially, he supported the Department of Justice doing an investigation into the New York Police Department based off of um, some shootings against the locals. So another good thing he actually did. Yeah, that's pretty dope. I mean, it's not no, like the New York mayor does that shit. So good for him. 
that's about it. Outside of that, it was a shitload of PR stunts. He did the food stamp thing. He did genuinely save a woman from a fire, which was awesome. Good for you, Cory Booker. Wait, what happened? Uh, there was a fire, fire and he ran in the building. And <laughs> Did you say, did he set the fire? Maybe. <laughs> Imagine that poor woman. I mean, you're like, oh my God, I'm dying. The smoke inhalation. Well. I guess heaven is next. And then you see Cory Booker's visage and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm in hell. <laughs> For a second, it must have been very alarming. So he did save a woman from a fire, which was awesome. But a lot of the stuff he did uh, and start getting media coverage for was things that happened during heavy snow where people would tweet at him because he's on Twitter and he's like the Twitter mayor at the time. And they'd be like, hey, man, we can't get out. Uh, no snowplows have come. So he'll like run over and shovel out the driveway for these people. One woman he brought diapers to her and this was like a story that got repeated everywhere and someone actually circled back with her when he ran for senator later um and this woman let me just read his quote because it's cracking up uh he did come and bring me pampers buyers told me recently uh back in 2010 her brother tweeted at booker three days after a massive snowstorm that buyers could not get out and was running out of diapers booker as he was fond of saying on his twitter feed was on it Byers laughed at the memory and thinks everyone missed the point. Booker, she said, focused on the individual heroics because the larger task of managing city services eluded him. The only yeah. reason he brought me pampers was that it had been three days and our street hadn't been plowed. I have five kids and trust me, I'll just run out of pampers. All we wanted was for him to plow our streets. It's about knowing how to manage a city. <laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> That's the perfect liberal candidate. Like, I'm not actually doing anything politically to make your life better, but here's some token gesture that you can tweet about. He he does, because he was mayor of Newark now, he likes to promote this image of him being nitty gritty. Um, again, because he did live in the um, uh, subsidized housing when he first moved out there, which, like we said, if you go from yield to subsidized housing and now as a presidential candidate, you're trying to claim you grew up on the streets, that's really fucking sociopathic and really disconcerting because... He did not grow up there. He grew up in a very nice home. His parents were professional class people. They were lovely. They did have to deal with a lot of racist bullshit like redlining, but he grew up in a nice home. So I look, I go for every housing lottery in New York, like everybody else does, because this place is totally unaffordable. If I found out that Corey Yale Law Booker got a unit, I'd be so pissed. Yeah, who wouldn't be? Fuck that guy. That was his Newark mayor stuff. It's him flying, jet setting all over the place, trying to get money for the city. The, the way a lot of other people describe it, he honestly sounded like Elon Musk for Newark, where great marketer, but he didn't actually follow through on anything. He managed to get a ton of money for the city itself from Mark Zuckerberg, and it all went to charter school shit. Jesus, the fucking Elon Musk of Newark collaborating with Mark Zuckerberg. I'm actually dead right now. I don't, no one can see me like low information shithead liberals thinks he's some you know who he he keeps in in like all the crazy like murderous hitmen keep trying to kill him like every single one of these crazy trump guys that mails bombs or has like an arsenal always has cory booker's name you know written on lipstick on the wall like ready to go and track him down he's got to pull the schumer thing where no one thinks schumer's a threat that did rule where the MAGA bombers <laughs> sent like pipe bombs to every person, but looked at Chuck Schumer and was like, why bother? He's basically on my side. <laughs> he was Newark mayor. Uh, then he ran for Senate after Frank Lautenberg died. He ran for the seat and it was a four or five way primary one. And he's been in the Senate since that was in uh, 2013. Goes to show you don't fuck with T-Bone. <laughs> Before we get to 
policies. If we're going to keep referencing imaginary friends and T-Bone, we should probably, just in case anyone doesn't know, someone should explain what the fuck this is about. So Cory Booker has been using this character, and since he actually since he ran for mayor in 2002, uh, the one that he lost, uh, called T-Bone. And it, it's some drug dealer that he knew is how he describes him, who one at one point threatened to kill Booker and at another point sobbed on his shoulder. To, to give you the exact quote, I later got to know this guy and his name was T-Bone and I'm a vegetarian. So that was particularly vicious threat. Was it, Corey? Was it? And then here's a quote from Booker. It's not so much the details of the story that matter, but the principle that these things happen. They happen to real people. They happen in the city of Newark. It doesn't matter that I'm lying. What matters is that it theoretically could have happened. Oh, oh, he's, he's got another great quote for that. He is an archetype of so many people that are out there. He is 1,000% a real person. It's always good when you have to say that they're a thousand percent a real person. Oh, I'm torn between responding to John's quote and making fun of him for saying archetype. I'm I'm uh, torn between making <laughs> that joke. Like he's a thousand percent. Like there's a really fat dude named T Bone walking around. Uh, <laughs> a thousand percent T Bone, get at it. <laughs> I like I like to imagine T Bone just hitting that spliff, talking to Cory Booker like. You ever think about Thug Mansion? Tupac. <laughs> this morbidly obese gangster walking around just jacking people up. Corey, you taught me a lot about the deficit player. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the reason that T-Bone stuff comes up a lot is because Cory Booker loves to reference his time at Stanford that he helped run a like student crisis network. And he'll refer to it to, for a lot of things, uh, any sort of cultural issues. So he'll be like, oh, well, I talked to a person like such and such through my time volunteering. And they really helped convince me that uh, LGBTQ rights matter, stuff like that. So he refers to it fucking constantly. And I'm pretty sure it's where the T-bone thing came from originally, uh, where he was like, I got to talk about how I know regular people. I'm yeah, sure. people aren't moved by my story about Stanford students uh, calling the crisis line because their dad cut off their credit cards, and that's violence now. So I needed to make up a, a clearly fake person based on Prop Joe and The Wire. I'm normal. Make me president. <laughs> well, here's an idea. What if T-Bone was just the racist caricature someone was doing blackface of at the time? You know what? Uh, feel your oats here because I'd love to not edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just see where this is going. Uh, Rob, make a note right now. Beep. Go. Uh, no, that, that was about it. I was just saying is that, you know, just Cory Cory Booker g gets dragged to a frat party at some point and mm -hmm. it's Halloween and there's, mm -hmm. just, uh, there's just some students wearing blackface because that's apparently a very common thing you white people are doing. Uh, so and you white people what do you mm. mean you white people you white I, people. that's what i'm going with that's what this podcast needs more asian on white racism <laughs> <laughs> i on our you know what critical support for that <laughs> i was gonna say i actually i support you doing more of that john oh so just you. just just so we understand the riff cory booker is at a, a rutgers frat party he is 37 years old and there's a white, there's an overweight white guy named Chase in blackface. And, and what happens then? I mean, they just start talking and Corey just buys into it. 
That's that's that, the whole bit. That does explain why so much of the conversation was about the wire. <laughs> anyway, so is this really about- our life now? We have to talk about Cory Booker. We can get to his policies. So if you hear about the T-bone, oh, thing, good. some racist caricature he made up uh, in 2002, it seems maybe even earlier than that, in order to make himself seem tough and like he was connected if, to a regular person. Were it not for T-bone, I would not be able to Dougie to this day. And I thank <laughs> him for that. So actual policy stuff since he's been a senator. Uh, it's largely been vaguely progressive. Again, he's been in since 2013, so... Fuck yeah, I love vague progressivism. That's the best kind. Go on. Quick pause. He's been in there when the Democrats have had no power, so it's hard to take a lot of what he's done with any particular seriousness because he knows they'll all fail. That said, he did sign on to Bernie's Medicare for All bill. He also went out of his way to say that he would not do away with private health care, citing that other countries have public health care and still have private health care. So... Seems to want to have it both ways on that one. He does support the Green New Deal. He's talked about that recently. But I do want to get into it. He has two policies that he's pushing as part of his presidential platform that are interesting. And I like, think- honestly, I don't hate what you've said thus far. And the fact that he has any policies whatsoever puts him above people like Kamala right now. No, I totally so, agree. Yeah, I don't... I don't want people listening to think we're just here to shit on every candidate. Like, are they all pretty much bad? Yes. But Wait, some of not. them have their bright some of them have their bright spots, right? Like if someone does something good like support Medicare for all, uh that's fairly I mean, good, right? He supported Medicare for all for a hot second. Like uh, he co-signed not, on the bill. I mean, yeah, but the thing is like that's not going to matter for anything. Like I don't know. I, I'm still going to give him credit for it though. I'll, I'll give him I'll give him credit for that, like but I just don't I mean, I just don't believe he will actually support it when it actually comes time to support it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, very easy to stunt when you know there's no chance of getting things passed. I agree, but he at least is stunting. Some of the right. other assholes aren't even doing right. Like, I mean, this one, is- of the, one of the big problems with him saying he supports Medicare for all, but I don't want to touch private insurance is one of the main things stopping Medicare for all from going through is the private insurance companies that make yes. you know, shit zillion dollars a second off of human pain and misery. So it's it's sort of like saying, yeah, I want this nice thing, but I don't want to do a single thing that might threaten a the status quo or b people that would end up giving me money. Is there any way we could have a predatory economic structure that operates as an engine through blood and bone? But also is Medicare for all? I mean, yes, that's the UK. <laughs> also, isn't that the VA? Yeah. <laughs> got him. Sad for our veterans, but you did got him. <laughs> uh, so his actual two uniquely uh, Cory Booker policies, like there are ones that only he, as far as I can tell, is pushing. Uh, Cory his... Booker policy. Like it's an actual like <laughs> category. <laughs> so... I'm going to give them this. They're both decent policies. So the first one is he's pushing this thing, uh, they're calling baby bonds. It's been around for a while in economic circles, but he's the only politician I know of who's aggressively pushing it. It's a libertarian policy where you can buy stock in a baby before they're grown (laughs) and then assure some percentage of their equity. Uh, Anyway, it's in the Boots Riley movie. You'll figure it out. So the idea is every single kid when they're born will be given an account uh, seated with $1,000. Every year... Uh, through the tax code, depending on how wealthy their parents are, they will receive another up to two grand each year deposited, right? So if your family's poor, you're going to get two grand a year as you grow up. 
they'll be managed by the treasury, so they'll be in a low-risk account. At 18, you will have access to the money for certain allowable uses, including education, home ownership, retirement, which I thought was interesting. I hope Cory Booker is supporting retirement at 18 because that would be fucking awesome. And Wait, retirement at 18? It just says you can use you can use the account for retirement. But it's the main idea is you can use it for education, buying a house, opening a business, uh, things of that sort. I don't understand this at all. It's uh, means tested. It, it's not going to take any effect for 18 years. That is my problem with it. Like, it's, it's, time. it, it just, this just seems like it's designed to be killed. I so, can't wait until I'm living in the Fallout universe and I find out that Cory Booker's uh, baby savings account has gone into effect. Will I have to kill some of the Red Scorpion militia to claim that money? Yes, but I'm just glad it's there and that'll be good for my retirement. To be the least cynical voice here, every other politician for focuses on short-term results. I do think with pending a uh, fucking ecopocalypse, that's probably the right choice. But as a long-term uh, policy, this is a good one. It would solve a lot of issues. This is something that's been pushed by one of the economists at the New School for a while. It's a really good long-term policy. I do support this. It, it, it sounds okay. It I needs mean, more. I just, it needs I, more things. But Yeah, I mean, I, I just sound like I would... I'd much rather have like a guaranteed minimum income or something like that. Like it's like two decades from now and it's just putting, it's giving you the ability to funnel more money into the fire pit that currently is higher education, which I can see why he's proposed that because all of his stakeholders, higher education, wall street, that's good for them, right? Like it's good for us in a very minimal uh, it could be worse way, but it's really good for the people that are receiving that money based on a broken system. That's why I think people criticize this. Right. It does nothing to improve schools now. And you couple that with his hard on for fucking, you know, putting public money into charter schools, which are just, you know, a fucking race to the bottom. Yeah. When public schools are totally demolished because of the policies Cory Booker has proposed, you're going to have the sort of rent seeking where you're baby savings account is going to end up going towards charter schools to pay for something that the government should have been providing education as a human right in the first place. That said, as a long-term policy and an attempt to address systemic poverty in this country, it's not a bad one. It needs other things. It needs shorter-term solutions, Medicare for all, uh, minimum wage guarantees, job guarantees, things like that. But on its own, it is not a bad policy. Yo, so we all agree Brett gets the guillotine now, right? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. No, it, he won't fit. We'll have to make a whole new one. That's in a <laughs> uh, an especially large hole for his thick ass neck. Do better, Brett. Fuck off. So the second policy that he's pushing is actually a jobs guarantee. But in typical Cory Booker fashion, it's not a full jobs guarantee. He wants to pilot it in 15 local areas. Yes. Which they're defining as parts of a state, a city, a county, or a group of cities and counties. And so, and give them funding so that every adult living there is guaranteed a job paying at least $15 an hour, or if the wage is higher, that higher wage, uh, offering paid family sick leave and health benefits. Damn, geofencing benefits. When has that ever failed before? Yeah. Uh, again, this is another policy from uh, one of the new economists, which is one of the reasons I like it. I don't love that he's fucking piloting it. Right, it's a really tepid uh, attempt at pushing this, but if I don't know, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to fucking criticize any jobs guarantee, anything we can get, because it means more people are going to talk about it, which I appreciate. 
Yeah, it moves the Overton window. Good for him. Yeah, both yeah. of those do, right? It forces a conversation about things that need to be talked about. So, and again, those are better than anything I've seen from people outside of Bernie and Warren as far as actual policy. Yeah, I think I think the issue is just that, like, if Bernie and Warren are the social Democrats, Cory Booker is saying, like, you know, capitalism isn't that bad. I mean, it's kind of bad and it's crushing us, so we got to supplement it so we don't get killed entirely. But, you know, overall, decent system. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I did think those were interesting. Those are his two sort of premier policies he's pushing. His entire platform, or excuse me, the way he's running his campaign is based off of this idea of radical love, um, which is a little <laughs> nauseating in the modern era. Jesus Christ. Exactly. He uh, was taking this interview and starts talking about his whole love thing. And, and the interviewer said something along the lines of like, but if I listen to Trump talk about the immigrants, how could I not let that anger turn at a certain point to hatred? Just as love is a human emotion, hate is also extremely human. Booker's response here just cracked me up. God, my anger as a former athlete gets me into the gym working harder. <laughs> Y'all, he's really gay. Like, just real gay. That's the only good thing about him. I, I wish he would. So this is the other part that comes up a lot. He's single. Now he has a fake girlfriend of some kind, supposedly Rosario Dawson. Um, no, that actually makes him relatable. An angel. <laughs> yeah, Rosario Dawson is an angel, much like my fake, I mean, real girlfriend, Asuka Langya Soyu. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Cory Booker will be getting my vote, because I finally feel seen. So there's a lot of rumors that he's gay, and he constantly denies it. I, I kind of wish it was true. It would make me like him a lot more. It's 2019, fucking go. What are you afraid of? The most amazing thing is that Corey has like already been outflanked as an African-American liberal with you know no real good policies by Kamala. And he's also been outflanked as a gay mayor by Paul or by uh, Peter Buttigieg out of, uh, out of Ohio. I mean, and, and Bernie as well, right? <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> Make no mistake. I, I, I like him smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie's into twinks? So the, he, Booker's been accused of this before by every Republican who runs against of being gay. Uh, again, he always denies it. I, I don't think it's true because it would be interesting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's so true. I think John's right. The, uh, that would be an excuse. That would be like, yeah, you know what? Sorry, I've been dealing with a lot and I've been uncomfortable being who I truly am. That's why I feel stifled and weird. Um, the fact is 2019 in America, I shouldn't have to do this anymore. That would be genuinely inspiring. The fact that he's just shitty and sucks and nothing does make sense and there's no justification for it. Eh, kind of a bummer. He's going to get caught in a massive corruption sting. And when he comes out to give his speech, he's going to pull a Kevin Spacey and admit to being gay instead. <laughs> I like that Twitter person that was like, egg on your face, I'm actually trans, just so they could win an argument. <laughs> Two other quick things on him um, before we move along. We've mentioned his school choice thing before. Uh, he is oh. very, very into charter schools. When he became mayor of Newark, uh, like 1% of the city's students attended charter schools. Now it's more than 30%. He's gone to a bunch of dinners hosted by Betsy Devos and her husband. So he's real close with them. Oh, Betsy... yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, usually he's the only Democrat there. It tends to be a shitload of Republicans because, of course. I'm he... actually surprised about that. But as of 2017, he still is in the same spot on that one. I haven't seen him get pushed hard at recently. So maybe he changes his mind. 
now that uh, teachers unions are flexing their muscle and he will hopefully recognize he's a fucking idiot on that issue. Um, not, not because of any actual policy, but just oh, no, of course not. It's a, it represents a stronger block. It's, a, it's insane that fucking choice should be an issue in schooling, which should be a basic human right. But anyway, uh, go on, John. Yeah, no, I was just going to say is that the teacher, the teacher's strikes alone should just end his candidacy. Like that, that just makes no sense for him to run at that point. Uh, closing thoughts on Cory Booker real quick, your impression. I, as we said before, because he actually pushes some policies that are good, I would still rate him above most of the liberals and centrists. But, you know, first and second is still big air form. quotes around good. But I yeah, you're saying. I will say I after after getting some more information today, I somehow trust him less than <laughs> anyone than anyone running like i mean at least, like with kamala you know she just wears how shitty she is on her sleeve but so i i guess what i would say is like with elizabeth warren uh the the best thing i could think of to do with her is say okay where would you want her in bernie's cabinet and or in in his office and with cory booker i can't think of a place to put him yeah i i uh uh, not to recycle content, but here we fucking go. Uh, I, when I was on Beep Beep Lettuce, I said the problem with Cory Booker is that he, he, unlike Kamala and Elizabeth Warren, that are instantly identifiable archetypes, Cory Booker seems to have this like mask he's putting on, but to no fucking end. Like he's a Patrick Bateman where I don't understand why he's doing it. Like, what is his actual policy? Kamala is, I know the Kamala type, right? The person that She's becomes a, a prosecutor. Yeah. yeah, I get it. It's in, Elizabeth Warren, too, the Massachusetts school teacher that has some vaguely progressive ideas about fiscal policy. Like, all these things read. Cory Booker is acting every time he's on your screen, but I don't know to what end. And that's what's so unnerving. There's an uncanny valley about his eyes that... Uh, until he comes out earnestly uh, in general or for a policy, I, I don't know how to respond. Yeah, I hate to get like be the pod save guy, but I just don't know who he appeals to once the election season gets started. And I can't imagine, you know, somebody like choosing between Klobuchar, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker and going with Cory Booker as their vote in any state. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's really damning that almost certainly a bunch of image consultants triangulated this particular campaign, and this is what they came up with. And they all probably got paid like a million dollars. So, okay. Oh, for sure. To wrap up on Cory Booker, like Rob is saying, he clearly has a mask. Everyone seems to have captured it. Even even centrist news sites are making fun of him. Like, he's not fucking going anywhere. If Chuck Todd can look at you and reasonably go, yo, what the fuck's going on there? You got a problem. Agreed. All right, so we're going to go from Booker, the most boring man in America, to Tulsi, who's hard to place within the current political climate. Let, let, me, let me go ahead and characterize Tulsi for you. You ever talk to Siri on your phone and be like, damn, she's almost too interesting. Well, good news. Tulsi Gabbard exists. <laughs> uh, quick background on Tulsi. She grew up in Hawaii. Uh, her mom is a white Hindu woman from Indiana. Uh, her dad is Samoan, grew up in Hawaii. She was homeschooled except for two years where she was at a missionary in the Philippines. By the way, there's no information about that. There's all these weird conspiracy theories about like uh, 
radical Krishna groups and shit, but <laughs> no discussion whatsoever. But like in general, Tulsi has a lot of weird fucking conspiracy theories about Krishna groups. No idea what's going on with that. Um, but she did. Was that some mission? This is Tulsi? already way more interesting than Booker, <laughs> right? She has a bachelor's in business. Uh, that's it. Her net worth's about three hundred k. Her dad uh, was is a virulent homophobe. Uh, he had a nonprofit for a long time trying to pass um, constitutional amendments to make sure that marriage could only be between a man and a woman. And she's one of these people that like evolved on gay marriage herself. Yeah, well, big air that. quotes around evolve. Yeah, exactly. I, I do feel that we should mention the name of his uh, his group. Stop promoting homosexuality. <laughs> no, bitch, you can't make me. <laughs> no subtlety, just boom, just laying it all out there. Uh, he's been a state senator for a while. He actually switched from Republican to Democrat at one point. Like father, Hawaii. like daughter. And his actual reasoning was because the Democrats have more power in Hawaii. That, that was it. Uh, so her net worth is like 300K. So doesn't have a ton Brett, of money. Uh, just um, as the the advocate for the listener here, which is how I style myself, uh, why do you keep bringing up the net worth? I feel like we've been doing that, but we've never really explained that. It's important context. It, in what way? If someone Because is, like it could be read in a certain way as being like, hey, this candidate's broke, so you know, they're definitely taking money. Like why do you, why do we bring it up? In general, you should always question where their interests lie. For wildly wealthy people who have been in public service forever, a lot of questions should arise from that, like Pelosi. How is she incredibly wealthy, even though she's been in politics her whole life? Right? Diane Feinstein, married to one of the richest people on earth. Exactly. Right. So then and that you, explains you a lot ask, about her. Exactly. So who whose interests do they have in mind? They're already going to be surrounded by wealthy and powerful people when they're in Congress. So they're not going to be interacting with you and me on the day to day basis. If they're also wealthy and have been forever, why would I ever believe they have my interests at heart or even understand what those are? Some people will also use it to attack them. So, like, you, you also get it for Bernie. He'll get attacked because he's worth a mill and a half now, something like that. And he has two houses. So people use it as evidence that he's clearly bought off. Uh, to me, it's always relevant and important context for anyone who claims to represent my interests. And How just to be clear, Bernie is not bought off. He no, earned his not. money honestly uh, by doing sexism just like everybody else. <laughs> So a quick context in her. So how she got to power at 21, she was the youngest woman ever elected to a state legislature. Uh, again, it helps that her dad was a prominent local politician. She decided to enlist in the Hawaii National Guard. You know, I shouldn't say enlist. She's an officer. And then she, so she resigned her role in state legislature, tour, uh, multiple tours in Iraq and Kuwait. And that is when some of her issue, her views on issues, um, evolved it was after she got back from that she ended up running for the house of representatives and that's where she's been since she actually beat the incumbent at the time or she was or excuse me not the incumbent she was running against the mayor of honolulu um who was very popular um and she ended up honestly crushing him so she's been in power since we can get to some of the her policies now her anti-intervention stuff is complicated because it is not as clear as direct as it seems on the surface so Tulsi is very against regime change, but she is very in favor of what she calls strategically placed small quick strike special forces and drones. 
the strategy took out Osama bin Laden. So she, SEAL Team 6, she's all for. Drone strikes, she's definitely in for. But full-on invasion, she's not. And when she talks about it, it's always from this position of like not having the troops die, right? Uh, very little discussion about destroying a foreign country, killing the people there, always about we don't want to kill our troops. Look, I want to I wanna meddle in your domestic affairs and definitely ruin your Yemeni wedding, but I want to do it without Americans dying. And that's what makes me the compassionate candidate. Yeah, it's a weird, like, nationalistic form of anti-interventionism. Quick quote on her for anti-intervention as well, because she just explains it for you. In short, when it comes to war against terrorists, I'm a hawk. When it comes to counterproductive wars of regime change, I'm a dove. Right? So she's... She's a frequenter of Fox News all throughout the Obama administration, talked about how he doesn't use the phrase uh, Islamic extremism. She loves attacking terrorists. They're, that's why Steve Bannon also loves her, because she loves going hard against terrorists. So anti-intervention, she does it from a nationalistic view. But the other big thing she's known for is being, uh, in her past, she claims, anti-LGBTQ. Um, as I said, her dad, a virulent homophobe, she was for a long time as well. Um, she had this great quote, as Democrats, we should be representing views of the people, not a small number of homosexual extremists. And in her defense, she was in a commercial about uh, against homosexual marriage in Hawaii with her dad. That is that is commitment. Right. That's in her defense. <laughs> The, the defense I hear of her, she was 21 at the time. That's such, a, that's such a dumb excuse, even if you weren't in public office. You can't be like, damn, you know in your 20s, like especially the early 20s where you do a lot of racism and homophobia? No, I don't, because I'm normal. You don't remember in your early 20s growing up in New York where you just hated gay people so much? It's fucking <laughs> weird. So she's done a 180 about it since then. So she said it's, it's a result of military service in the Middle East. One of her quotes on this, many times during the two years I lived in the Middle East, I said to myself, God, I would never want to live in this stifling, suffocating, oppressive society. The contrast Yeah, not between, like the fucking U.S. military, but continue. Right. Uh, one of the other things she likes to say about this is the contrast between our society and those in the Middle East made me realize that the difference, the reason that those societies are so oppressive is that they are essentially theocracies where the government and government leaders wield the power to both define and then enforce morality. I began to realize that the positions I held previously regarding the issues of choice, oh, she was also anti-abortion, choice and gay marriage were rooted in the same premise held by those in the power and the oppressive Middle East regimes that I saw. So she changed her mind because she saw very religious Islamic states. And that made her realize that America is awesome and we should not do the thing Muslims countries do. John Ashcroft literally draped a flag over the spirit of justice statue. So how about chill on our libertine bastion of freedom, America bullshit. But how does she sort of like uh, reconcile that with, you know, taking you know, vacation trips into Syria to hang out with Bashar al-Assad or whatever it is that she likes to do? So this is the other bit about her. She's been friendly with a few uh, authoritarian types, al-Assad, uh, Sisi, and Egypt. And I don't consider him authoritarian necessarily, but other people do. Modi in India. And uh, I don't Modi know about that Okay, I don't things, know enough about things that we know about Brett. Likes Cory Booker's economic policies. Big time Modi head. <laughs> we'll, we'll be guillotined if we can figure out how to fit his neck through it. 
Uh, Modi first rose to prominence by killing Muslims. So I can see now where Tulsi Gabbard. Um, oh, yeah. Interaction. So so this is the through line here is anytime she's supporting someone in the Middle East, it's people who are fighting ISIS and who you could describe as relatively secular. Right. Who? Who, and, who is that that you're talking about? Oh, that's uh, CC and Bashar al-Assad. It's al CC, really right? I'll see. Just, yes. just call him the really lion of Assad. <laughs> <laughs> you you can't really call either of them particularly religious. Is she, uh, is, she, particular... is she pro Rojava? I have no idea. I mean, that's like the only vaguely secular fighting force in that area, and I don't know where she was on Afrin. So uh, I'm a little skeptical of this idea that there's lots of secular allies that she's supporting. I would say the only ones that she tends to support are the ones who are not clearly religious Muslims. The Modi thing is where you start to connect the dots in that one because he is virulently anti-Islam. Yeah, he's a virulent uh, extremist Hindu as well. I mean, he's he's a Modi is a part member of the party that assassinated Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Modi, Modi is fucking terrible. And like, look, you got to look at these things relative and like Kerala is pretty good in India, but they're also sexist as fuck. Modi, even within that context, is a problem. And she has met him at least once or twice. She gets supported by um, his same political group. They actually formed a political action committee in America and helped support her for some of her races. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So I would say the through line here on the anti-interventionism and the LGBTQ thing, it, like she's very uh, against Islam in general. She's tried recently to soften that up a little, I think, as a result of people starting to criticize it. But it seems clear that all of the decisions she's making are a result of, I don't want to be like those people. Uh, and those people only ever seem to be Islamic people. Again, Steve Bannon fucking loves her because he says she's right about the Middle East and terrorism and Islam. That's one of those endorsement negs where technically they're complimenting you, but they're really just like lowering your status at the same time. Yeah, this would be the equivalent of like Betsy DeVoe coming out for uh, Corey Is Booker. it Betsy DeVoe or Betsy DeVos? I don't know. I hope it's I Betsy know. DeVoe okay. so it has a little New Orleans flavor. <laughs> Hi, I'm Betsy DeVoe. I do racism, but in that Cajun way. Betsy DeVos, after a couple of boxes of white wine, turns it to DeVoe. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, you're making me like her. Guillotine. All I'm saying is LSU and religious-based education. God bless. Uh, so, <laughs> God damn it. go Tigers, but spell G-E-A-U-X. <laughs> if you get the last thing second, I'll... make sure to look up Betsy DeVos's house on uh, Twitter. Someone like one of her, you know, oh, thirty-eight thousand yeah. mansions or whatever. It's just the most hideous McMansion parody you've seen oh it's disgusting i'm gonna do one more so one more point about uh her being islamophobic one of the policies she did support was called the safe act in 2015 so she helped the house gop one of like 40 democrats who helped them and it added would have added extra requirements to refugee vetting process and ground the syrian and iraqi refugee process to a halt and she claimed she was voting for the bill to save the refugee program Two months before that, she had introduced a resolution 
that would prioritize religious and ethnic minorities in the Middle East, Christians and Yazidis, when granting refugee status. So she went out of her way to make sure you couldn't get refugees from Iraq and Syria, uh, and the ones that you could get were the good Christians. Well, first, first of all, I, I quibble with the idea that Coptics are good Christians. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I can't stop looking at Brad just posted uh, Betsy DeVos's house. And it's every single house on like the east coast of New Hampshire. It's the same fucking dumbass fake stone sub-basement thing going into a living room in a rounded fucking dormer on the third floor chimney poking out of a dome in a pyramid roof structure it's awful i hate her yeah just google that and mcmansion hell and yeah have a good, have Look, a good time. if you're gonna be terrible at least get the aesthetic that's why we all tolerated grimes <laughs> <laughs> oh i like grimes so the the reason uh tulsi gets a lot of press Right, is because she has some economically economic populist positions. She's been calling for Soren Glass Steagle forever. Not that I consider her economic a populist, that's just duh. Uh, she opposed cuts to Medicare. She supports Medicare for all. She personally protested the Dakota Access Pipeline. She has been a pretty um, ardent supporter of Bernie, or was uh, in the last campaign. Uh, that said, she has refused to support the Green New Deal this time around that just came out. She is uh, unclear about some of the specifics, so doesn't want to put her name on it. Why? Because it might accidentally help Muslims somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if we save the planet, if we save the planet, more Muslims will survive. And if you look at my uh, Yemeni wedding bombing record, you know that's not something I'm in favor of. <laughs> Yeah, she also believes that uh, the Green New Deal could contribute to the deficit. She's been saying that a lot. Mm, I love politicians who talk about the deficit. Oh, nothing I love more. She also was weirdly uh, waffly about torture, where she tried to pull the like um, the 24 uh, thing that a lot of them do, where they're like, well, I don't agree with torture, but in a pressing ish circumstance where uh, there's a bomb about to go off uh then then i'd be okay with it what about a totally hypothetical scenario that allows me to justify doing all this shit outside of the totally hypothetical scenario she said that and then she went and voted to um or supported obama there's a, a law passed to stop the cia doing torture basically my theory on tulsi is that she is a right-wing populist right she's a nationalist populist which means she does support some economically populist policies but only really if they help the right people out luckily for us i'm gonna say lucky because i think she could be very dangerous on the republican side she's from hawaii and in the democratic uh, party so she gets constantly pushed to be better than some of her shittiest stances that she has so she gets constantly pushed on the lgbtq issue so now she votes for the right bills on that front same with uh, her position on torture. She got hammered on. She voted the right way. I would say the one positive I would give here is she'd be extremely dangerous if she ran in a Republican primary. Lucky for us, she's in Hawaii, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, but there already is a Tulsi Gabbard in the Republican side, and that's um, Nikki Haley, who like checks almost all the exact same boxes that Tulsi Gabbard just checked, except she has more political experience. Oh, God. That's true. 
That's a good fucking point. You're right. Wow. But Tulsi's a progressive hero. Hi, I'm Tulsi Gabbard, the <laughs> Nikki Haley of the left. <laughs> Actually, that makes sense because Nikki Haley famously made everyone in her South Carolina office answer the phone, not with hello, but it's a beautiful day here in South Carolina. And <laughs> that's true. And Tulsi Gabbard, she fucking loves, if you haven't heard it already, she loves doing the, I like to give people the gift of aloha at every question she gets. Yeah. So that performative, just a reminder, I'm from this state. Uh, they got that in common. We, uh, Nikki Haley also was famous for uh, complaining when they banned Pokemon Go at the Capitol in Columbia. Well, that's just fair because where else are you going to get a fucking Snorlax, <laughs> dumbass? Like, well, you're disenfranchising citizens in a way. No wonder my parents love her. Your parents play Pokemon Go? My parents are obsessed with Pokemon Go. My dad's on a Discord server so that they can go on raids together for Pokemon Go. Wow. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. There's a group of uh, employees at my company who all get together for the raids or whatever that show up. And so you can see them at times moving in a group of like a dozen of them that all get together and yeah, on their what phones. a bunch of fucking nerds, them running off chasing Pokemon. Meanwhile, the Chad Johns here on Crunchyroll streaming the latest <laughs> fucking slice of life anime. Fucking get it together, losers. So just as warning, I was on Periscope the other day. I'm one of like 150 people. And in defiance of God's will, I was on Periscope because it's a good place to watch dudes uh, with channels that are just look how high I can get and uh, depressed Slavic women. That's all who's on there anymore. Those two and Tulsi Gabbard. And she was at a campaign stop in Manchester, New Hampshire. And she told this story that really encapsulates what I find so upsetting about Tulsi Gabbard is she, so the first question she got at her campaign stop was a guy in a shirt that just said unity. That was it said, we're so divisive and mean Tulsi. How can we come together for bipartisan solutions that work for everyone? And this anecdote that I have no doubt she's going to tell every day until she drops out of the race. So get ready. She told this anecdote about how when she got into Congress, uh, she called her mom and she said, Mom, can you make literal hundreds of your world famous macadamia nut toffees? Oh, uh, uh, have you heard this? No, but I hate it already. It's fucking awful. And, and her mom said, be um, anything for you, Tulsi, of course. And then Tulsi, here comes the laugh line, said, okay. Could you actually double that? Because I also want to take care of the spouses of the congressmen, you know, because that, that's progressive. And her mom said, oh. give me a minute, but I think I can do that too. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so she got these literal hundreds of macadamia nut toffees. Uh, and at her first full meeting uh, of Congress, she crossed the aisle and to every congressman, she gave them uh, a little bit of toffee. And she said, here's a little gift of aloha for you. 
And that's important because politics is about crossing the aisle. And if you're calling someone names, quote, they're just not going to work with you. So we need to find what's respectful and honorable and good about every person in Congress. And that's how you can really make a difference. It's not by name calling. It's by getting them to like you. Which, just like, just so we're all on the same page, Obama did that. How the fuck did that work out? Mitch McConnell, the turtle man, just dunked on him for eight consecutive years. This has been proven not to work, but this is a psychosis that either they genuinely believe or they think Americans genuinely believe. She's also in a position where Republicans do like her because she goes on Fox News all the time and says fucked up Islamophobic shit. That actually was the second question she got. Somebody in Manchester went, Tulsi, go on Fox so the American people can get to know you and you can talk to the real Americans. And she, not finding that problematic at all, went, you know what? I do go on Fox because I'm not interested in being in a room with a bunch of people that I agree with. I need to be out there with the real Americans. So she, so her oh first God. two staged questions at this rally on Periscope in New Hampshire were both about her going across the aisle, one with cookies and the other with Sean Hannity. No, it, it's, it really is your second lieutenant giving you a PowerPoint deck. Like nothing is inspiring in the content, obviously, but she also just stutters out things about how like somebody asked uh, the right acts like it has a lock on patriotism. And patriotism is somehow neoliberal economics and interventionism. Uh, why can't caring for each other be considered patriotism? Why isn't socialism patriotism? Which like, okay, fair enough. And she went on about the fucking deficit and light and darkness and MLK. And if you have service in your heart, the messaging isn't that important. And we don't need to convince people. They just need to see that you have truth in your intention. Which, if that isn't the most liberal, meaningless bullshit, I, I, don't, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's why so, things like that, I just think she's pure grift. And I mean, I, I might be jumping ahead of the screen here, but there's no yeah. way this is a serious run for anything. What was it that uh, recently her, her website opened and none of her staff knew it was going to happen and so it failed immediately? And I'm, You might be right. It, I don't know if it's a grift for money or for power, though. Because people keep trying to push her as, you should make her Secretary of Defense if you get elected. Please don't put her in charge of the military, guys. Don't fucking do that to us. It's both. She She's going to be, in a way, she's nudging Cory Booker out. Because no matter what you ask her, she stands on the most like liberal, agreeable position possible. Like someone asked her about college tuition and she said, you know, we got to address how to pay for college. Who's profiting? We need to have a great product at more reasonable costs by harnessing technology. Oh. And you know what? Vocational training <laughs> is a college all its own. That was her actual answer. She had years Jesus. to prep for this and that's what she's got. So if this isn't a book deal or like a Howard Schultz VP pick, I don't know what this is about. I mean, I will say like if the the – there are a number of, like, as as you saw in two thousand six, there's a significant chunk of the population who are extremely anti, who are anti-war, anti-U.S. interventionalism, and when you hear anyone espousing anything close to that, you like them because you just don't get that in American media or from any of our politicians. So based on that, Tulsi Gabbard has a a fan base. 
And I think she's successfully driven off most of them at this point. But no, there's a lot of like low information people who don't know a lot of this. And that's where you're going to find her, I don't know, 2% support in polls or something. No, I was also just going to say, if you research her, watch out. Every Republican who talks about her gets really creepy. Oh, yeah. Trey Gowdy. <laughs> this sounds terrible to say, but it's also true. You know, she's cute. So if you're sitting on that side and it's a boring speech, you're going to notice. Thanks, Trey. Ugh. Again, another South Carolina connection for Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's me, the guy who's horny on the main section of the congressional floor. <laughs> so uh, in closing, I guess I'll toss this out there. Where would you like to see her in a hypothetical Bernie uh <laughs> In a Bernie the, government. The absolute worst, like, you know, possible way this could turn out is Bernie gets the nomination and makes her his, her, uh, his vice president choice. Oh, God. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's gone. He needs to a do veep, that. though, doesn't he? Who's it going to be? And he wants to pick a woman and he particularly wants to pick a woman of color. He's he's explicitly said that. Nina Turner. That would be great. Look, I, I, I'm I sure there's lots of good candidates. I'm going to be lease on me for Veep uh, until Election Day. <laughs> she's shown she has the poise and confidence to get it done, and she's never said anything Islamophobic. Come at me. Uh, my choice would be Stacey Abrams, but some people still think Democrats can win uh, a Senate seat in Georgia. So, I mean, they can if people are actually allowed to vote. Well, therein lies the rub now, don't it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's all let's all pray tulsi just does her bit vanishes into the ether and just stays a rep or gets primaried out of a rep in hawaii and gets no larger seat of power brett now advocating for prayer-based solutions we've learned a lot over these <laughs> over these uh, minutes here please don't vote for her i'm gonna pray that that blood sugar goes down brett yeah, I, I think we can all. And if you're listening to this, I, I hope okay. you'll join us in praying that Brett somehow, in defiance of God's will, is able to avoid diabetes type 2. Because right now, it's not looking good, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, bye, everyone. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you.